0: starting a new series this morning, and um, it's in the book of Titus, so if you want to go ahead and begin to uh, attempt to find that book, um, it is right after 2 Timothy and before Philemon and Hebrews, a very short book, it's got three chapters in it, and uh, so if you want to go ahead and turn there, um, the theme for this whole entire series that we're going to start on, it's really amazing how this kind of works out, I started the last sermon series too, and so I'm starting this one so every time Josh is, is out and by the way he's in Israel, um, they're having a really good time there and I'd be praying for them and their safe travels back and everything but every time he's gone it seems like I start a series and so which is fine with me um, he has he, he does a great job and everything of, of getting these together and um, so we are, we're definitely blessed um, to, to be going through uh, this series out of order um, if you've ever had anything out of order is frustrating. Um, if you was to walk in my house right now um, and go to my refrigerator and try to get something out of it, it would be kind of warm. A refrigerator broke uh, this past week. And, um, and, 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 and so if you also to go outside and, and, and look at my car, I have a flat tire. And I also have my mother-in-law living with me too. Amen. She's not watching right now. She is with my father-in-law that is also um, in rehab right now. Um, and so, uh, so anyways, things are kind of out of sorts right now uh, for our family. And uh, and so I know a lot of you have been praying for us and everything and so things a little little out of order and so my father-in-law has a saying if sometimes you just can't help but to laugh at your situation and so that's kind of where we're at. We just kind of surround just kind of laugh um, and then sometimes we cry. Um, But anyway, um, today we're going to begin this short series on the book of Titus and this is Apostle Paul's writing uh, letter to Titus and Titus was a missionary mentored by Paul and he basically was a missionary mentor by Paul, and he is getting prepared to plant a church on an island called Crete. Now, Crete was one of the, well, probably one of the most immoral places of that particular time. Um, it was in the Mediterranean. It was the hub for, for piracy, and so if you could imagine um, this young guy creating, basically planting a church on an island with the set and the characters of the Pirates of the Caribbean. That's kind of what you're, you're looking at here. It's a very immoral place, a place that literally um, piracy was going on. The lying was celebrated art form there. Um, as a matter of fact, there's a saying that to Crete was a slang to lie. Um, and so lying basically was an art form. Um, and so historians have said that nowhere in the ancient world where politicians were more corrupt than Crete. Um, the public policy uh, tilted toward people in power um, even it says in Titus verse 12 uh, of the same chapter, verse 1, chapter 1, even one of their own prophets has said, "Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. And in verse 13 it says, this testimony is true. And so Paul is affirming that. He's affirming that, hey, you know, these, these guys are rough. They're, they're horrible. They're, they're, they're liars. They're evil brutes. They're lazy gluttons. And so if you think about that, some of you are like, hey, that's most of my friends, some of you may even say, you know what, hey, that's my family. Some of you may say, you know what, that's, that's where I work. That's my workplace. Um, sometimes that, that, that we, we end up in places that where we work and it's not very comfortable. And so how do you live out the faith in a really difficult, immoral place like Crete? And so this message is very relevant for us today. We're living in a day where you can't believe what you hear because of all the lies. There's so many lies. You can't can't really listen to the TV and and listen to the news and go, is that really, is that true? Um, Don't get me started on Facebook. I mean, you really can't believe anything on there. And so it's very, very hard to get the truth. Um, even our friends sometimes it's very difficult sometimes when we have friends that you know is that really true I'm not sure if that's true or not does it sound true I'm not sure if it's true and so there's all the lies and there's this evil around us and then laziness has become a epidemic so we live in a day where trusting anyone is a challenge even if they say that you're they're your friends and everyone is suspicious of someone what are they doing over there you see them neighbors I don't know about them I'm just not too sure what's, what's going on over there. When we also live in a day where kids are plotting murder. If you haven't heard what's going on in our society today with, with our children and the schools and, and, and different things, man, be praying for our teenagers. Be praying for our children. So we live in a day that is just evil. There's lying. And then there's laziness. We live in a day where laziness has become a sport. People will work hard. To get out of work they will work hard to get out of work and so how do you live out your faith in a very really difficult and moral society that we live in today and so if you look around you can realize that something is out of order something don't seem right in our society as you walk through our society at work as you have the friends that you have as you listen to the news you can't help but to think man something's not right here something is out of order something is broken is broken. So how do you respond when Christianity is constantly despised, belittled, and even made fun of? So Paul writes to Titus, not only to answer some of the, those questions, but to equip and confront the culture. And so there is an order taking place and we need to see this order take place. And we can kind of see a glimpse of this. And I want you to think about this for a second. Paul was once Saul. Saul was knocked off his horse in Damascus, on the Damascus Road, and that event set in motion a life of godliness that leads to a life of service that leads to engaging the culture. There's an order. There's this this order that things kind of happen naturally. So we see Saul become Paul, had an encounter with, with Jesus, we see him going into service. We see him serving. We see him learning. We, he, we see him being godly. Then all of a sudden, we see him engaging the culture. So the gospel always pushes and presses into the culture. And we're going to see that, that that's our responsibility is to lead and change culture. As believers in Jesus Christ, as Christians, we are never called to sit idle and do nothing. And it's completely contrary to to what a lot of us have maybe grown up and thought about church and the way we do church and the way we we just do life. We need to continually be pressing in on culture. And so we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. I broke this up in chunks so we can kind of understand this and maybe hopefully get out of here by lunch. So verses one through four, Titus verse, verse one, one says, Paul, a servant of God and the apostle Paul of Jesus Christ for the faith of God's elect and the knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. And so that phrase, the truth that leads to godliness, or at least that is the theme is to come up over and over and over again in this, in this particular entire book of Titus. The truth that leads to godliness, God's purpose in this book, in this gospel is to create for himself a loving people that loves him and others. That is the gospel. That is the purpose of the gospel, is to create for himself a loving people that loves himself and others. Godliness is, that is that's the point of the gospel. When God saves us, he saves us for himself. For us to be used, for us to be planted, for us to engage our culture. In our world around us, I used to do um, accident reconstruction uh, before I became in the ministry, and there's always a point. There's always a, a literally a point where the actual a collision occurred. And there's this impact. And so you see the impact, and what we would have to do is we'd have to reverse engineer the entire thing. And so you have this impact, and you have to figure out what happened. Before all of that, when you got saved, you had an impact. You ran into Jesus and something happened. Some change happened. And so my question for all of us here this morning is, has there been a change? Has you been, have you been affected? Have you had an accident to the point to where you've been changed? Verse 2. In hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages begin. So how does the gospel transform us? How does that happen? What is the mechanics of it? How does the gospel transform us? The gospel points out our inability to save ourselves. It points out our inability to save ourselves. We are broken. We're hopeless. So Jesus had to do this work in us in order for us to receive the gift. So in the gospel, we see that God's making us in the future he has for us. He puts, us, he puts a taste and a hunger in us. He, he, he puts that in us. And so we have this taste and we have this hunger and then we start to grow. We start to grow in the Lord. He leads us to godliness and it's a chain reaction. It's a chain reaction, or it should be. It should be a chain reaction. Here's how, here's how this works for Titus. Let's look at Titus. Titus is told about the saving faith of Jesus. Jesus saves Titus. The truth of the word begins to shape Titus, which will lead to godliness, all of which the rest of the hope of the eternal life in a God that will never lie. It's a chain reaction. In verse three, it says, at the proper time manifested in the word through the preaching, which I have been entrusted by the command of God our savior. So the chain reaction continues. It doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with godliness. Because it, if it just stopped with that, the gospel would not be complete. It wouldn't be true. Because he says to, to go, therefore, and make disciples. It doesn't just say stay godly, learn as much as we possibly can, and not do anything with it. And so amazingly, God has placed the greatest message ever told in our hands. In a people like you and me, we are to engage our culture with the message of hope. So Titus is told about the saving faith of Jesus, more than likely, Paul led him to the Lord. He gets saved. The truth of the word being against his shape, Titus, through the discipleship of others, through the church. That leads him to godliness and then, and then leads Titus to sharing about his saving faith in Jesus. That is how it works. That's how it should work. And you may say, well, I'm just just not comfortable with with sharing. Um, I'm, I'm not. At some point in time, it has to become vocal. At some point in time. It has to become outward. I've heard people say it before. I can just live my life and people can watch my life and they can come to the Lord. Never seen that happen. You may think, well, I'm just going to live my life. I'm going to live godly and and just keep going. And man, people will see me and they'll come to Christ. You know how crazy that sounds? It has to become vocal. Verse four, it says, to Titus, my true child in common faith, grace and peace from God, the father and Jesus Christ, our savior. Titus was a true son in our common faith. Our common faith. And so Paul used the phrase true son for Timothy also. Paul was the spiritual father of both Timothy and Titus. He led both boys to faith in Christ. And so I want to key in on common faith. And I think it's important to note that Titus was to preach the same message that Paul preached. It is passed down. It's, it's, it's continually, it's a cycle. It is passed down from, from, from leader to mentor. From Then the mentor starts to grow in Christ and the mentor starts to mentor others. And that's how this whole thing spreads. And then you have this area that we have called crete so titus was to share in this common faith and have been commanded to go and make disciples verses five through nine we're going to look at this and basically the first four verses is a life of godliness paul talks about this life of godliness that that we that need to be manifested in us and then verses five through nine and so we see that godliness leads to service godliness leads to service if you are a believer and you, you, have, you have been saved and, and, and you, you begin to seek out godliness, you cannot help but to read scripture and see that we are to serve others. We are to love others. Verse 5 says, this is why I left you in Crete, so that you might put what remained into order and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. So our godliness determines how effective the church will be pursuing the lost and confront culture. There's an order to it. There's an order to how we do things. There's an order to to how we live our lives. And so if Paul said it, if Paul instructed Titus to do these things, I think it's very important that we look at this. And then we say, are we really pressing into our culture? And if we're not pressing into our culture, why is that? And could it possibly be that we don't have the leadership that we need that is stepping up? Not just here, but church in general, across this community. So our godless determines how effective the church will be in pursuing the lost and confront culture. Paul has passed the torch on at this point. He's passing the torch on to Titus and how Titus has been charged with appointing godly leaders to set in motion unity in the church. There are two types of offices in the church. Two types of offices. There's elders and there's deacons. Elder, overseer, and pastor are used interchangeably in Scripture to refer to the same office. Deacons are to serve, elders are to lead out. Elders are not, and I want to get this really straight. Elders are not super Christians, and that that that's not what Paul is saying here. And this is what he gives us a list here. Let's, let's let's read this list. Verse six. It says, "If anyone is above reproach, husband of one wife, and has, and his children are believers, and not open to change of debauchery and insubordination, for an overseer as God's steward must be above reproach. He must not be arrogant or quick-tempered." Or a drunkard, or violent, or greedy for gain, but hospitable, a lover of good, self controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. He must hold firm to the trustworthy word as taught, so that he might be able to give instruction in sound doctrine and also to rebuke those who contradict it. And so that is what a godly leader looks like. D.A. Carson, a biblical scholar, said it like this The most remarkable feature of this list is that it is unremarkable. It contains nothing about intelligence, decisiveness, drive, wealth, or power. Almost everything, and I want you to hear this, almost everything on this list is elsewhere in the New Testament required for all believers. For all believers. So I want to make something very clear. Could it be possible? The reason why a lot of people are not stepping up and serving in many areas of leadership is that they think that they don't measure up. That they feel like that there is a elite list or elite group of people that can only serve in the church. And so I don't think that's what Paul means to say rather Christian leadership demands a focus of the kinds of characteristics and virtues that ought to be present in Christians everywhere. So this is not unattainable. It's not an unattainable step of perfection that some people have made it and some people don't because of what Christ did for us. We should all be striving to be godly leaders. Because the world's looking for hope. And so the way we give them hope is that we gotta have our business in order as the church. And so Titus was required to go out and find these godly men. And he appointed them in different areas. Mentored them for the hope that they would begin to set things in order. To help fix the broken, to help go after those that were lost, in the push in on culture. Could not it be that the reason why we feel like we're sort of losing the battle in our, in our culture is because we have curled away? We, we're doing this right here. We're like, I'm not sure, but if we need to say anything, or you know, I know that I know that they're they're lying about that. But I'm not sure we need to we need to be involved in that. Or could it be the, the reason why we're not effective in the community as far as reaching people? It's because the church sees us and they don't see anything different. have been tasking our students to live a godly life on campus. That is the only way they're going to be able to reach their friends. Because if they're doing the same things that their friends are doing, they'll never reach them. It's the same thing for us adults. If we're acting in in a way at the ballpark I step am I meddling at the ballpark on the fields at your workplace and they know you go to church here and you act in a fool it don't just hurt your witness but it kind of hurts ours too My burden is to see people saved. I've got a daddy. I've got family members. I've got a list of friends that I'm going after. I'm not perfect, man. If you know me, you know Brad Thomas is not perfect, but I'm trying the best I can to reach my friends and to live in such a life that that maybe someone can see that, man, you know, this guy, he, he's the real deal. He ain't perfect. But he's not like everybody else. And then that's my prayer. Is that we would be a people that people look at and go, man, they're, they're a little different there. They're a little different there. So these are good men. Godly character. These are men of good godly character. Not out of, and here's not, out of not out of obligation not out of obligation, but because of what Christ has done in their hearts. They're not acting like they're godly. They're they're godly because of their heart. That's where true service happens. And it keeps the church unified, it keeps the church healthy. And so Titus is charged to find these guys. And here's why. The church must be unified when facing an enemy that seeks to devour and destroy. I mean, if we can't get it right, if, we, if we're not unified and, and if we're not together when it comes to the gospel. If we're, if we're not, if we're, we're off track if we're just kind of, you know, I'm not sure about this year or this year or this right here. And, and if we're doing things we shouldn't be doing and, and all of a sudden they see us and they acting a certain way. Then it's really difficult for us to be effective. Ephesians chapter four says it really well. And I love this. I love Ephesians chapter four. It's one of my favorite books because it just gives us really clear instructions. It says, and he gave the apostles, the prophets and evangelists and the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for the building up the body of Christ until we attain to the unity of faith and the knowledge of the son of God, a mature manhood to measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and cared about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes, rather speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. From the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which is equipped with each part is working properly makes the body grow. Did you hear that? This says that if we live godly lives, if we pursue righteousness, then the church will grow. Numbers will be added. If we just seek Christ, When soldiers enlist in the army, they're tested to see which service they are best suited for. We have a lot of veterans in here. We have a lot of men that are in the military. The army has four main fighting units, infantry, armored, artillery, and engineers. However, these corps would be unable to fulfill their mission without support from the other corps, such as medical, transport, ordnance, intelligence, signals, and aviation. They all work together. Each corpse needs soldiers to fulfill these roles and all the necessary proper function of the whole. Furthermore, no matter which unit they belong to, soldiers are expected to be combat ready at all times, able to march into battle and face the enemy. We are compared to A loving force. The church is compared to a loving force that goes out into the world. We are to press in on culture. And we have our marching orders. And so Titus has his troops. Now it's his time to go into battle. And here we see the importance of godly leadership in the midst of battle. There's these salts teachers, no doubt, There are persons that are about to persuade, attract, and trap. In verses 10 through 15, we see this. This is what it says about these guys. For there are many who are insubordinate, empty talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision party. They were Judaizers, basically. They must be silenced. I want you to listen to language here. I want you to listen to the the harsh words that that Paul is telling Titus that that needs to happen to these people that are teaching and leading people astray. They must be silenced, since they're upsetting whole families by teaching for shameful gain, what they ought to teach. One of the Cretans, a prophet of their own said, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore rebuke them sharply, and they may be sound in faith, not devoting themselves to Jewish myths And the commands of people who turn away from the truth to the pure, all things are pure, but to the defiled and the unbelieving, nothing is pure, but both their minds and their consciences are defiled. They profess to know God, but they deny him by his works. They are detestable, disobedient, unfit for any good work. Paul is talking about a very religious group of people. They're called the Judaizers. They taught that you had to earn your salvation. They offered a Jesus plus works salvation. The Judaizers opposed Paul's teaching of it is not by works that we are saved, but by solely by the grace of Christ. They opposed that. And so we must confront and engage culture, but we must also be careful not to become what we are confronting. Because oftentimes what we have is the culture begins to influence Society begins to influence, and then you have it creeping the church. And then Paul sends someone like Titus that says, hey, we got to clean this mess up. And so here we are reading this scripture about a broken society and a church that needs to be fixed. We must confront and engage culture, but we must also be careful not to become what we are confronting in this case, the religious. Religion will never save a lost man. Religion will never produce true godliness. The religion will judge others while superficially serving them. Those who excel in religion say, look at what I've accomplished, I'm better than others. And there's also an unrighteous competitive, com- competitive spirit. I not I could get that out. There's also an unrighteous competitive spirit among the religious. I want you to listen to this. They find joy in others' misfortune and failures because when you are down, they are up. The religious concern with sin is to avoid punishment. So you ask, how close can I get and still be okay? When the integrity of the gospel is at stake, we cannot run, we cannot hide. We must stand and fight because that is what we are called to do. Armed with the truth, motivated by love, we can engage the enemy and rescue the captive. So there are people literally around us, especially in this area we call the Bible Belt, that have grown up thinking that they're fine and they become religious and they're following a a set of lists and their heart's never been changed. Their heart's never been affected. And you say, well, how do you know that? How can you tell that? How, how How can you say that? Look at our community around us. Watch the news. Does it look like we're being effective? No, an indictment on us. Christianity has never been just to overturn a new leaf. It's the power of a new life. Not to resolve to live better, better resurrected, resurrected life in Jesus. It's not a set of rules. It's not a set of, it's not a do good book. It's have you been changed? Have you had an encounter with Jesus? And Paul is saying that that things are broken if, if, if that's not true. And so when there's lack of godly leadership, when there's lack of elders, when there's lack of deacons, when there's lack of men stepping up, we suffer. Our society starts to suffer. Our culture starts to suffer. And people look to the truth, look to the church and go, well, what's going on? What's, what's happening? And we have to go, no, I just we need some order. We need, we're broken. We need, to, we need to go to the Lord and we need to seek him out. The heart of the Christian message is not that once we are clean ourselves up, we, we come to God and he accepts us. The heart of the Christian message is, we are unable to clean ourselves up. It is impossible to clean ourselves up, so Jesus came to clean the mess we've made up. And so we seek to become healthy, a healthy church. And that starts with living godly lives. That starts with, with seeking out truth. It starts with opening the word up and going, you know, what does it say about living a godly life? And so here's how it happens Young man, 21 years old, lost, agnostic, hates the church, hates Christians. Makes fun of them. Someone says, you know what? That guy, I need to need to get him here. They invite him. To an event, he gets saved. In turn, that young man gets saved and something changes in his heart over time and he begins to seek out truth other godly men pull alongside of him and begin to mentor him they begin to help him they even knock on his door and say man how you doing how's it going they make sure that he's here when he's not. They're continually checking. They're continually, man, are you, are, you, are you living okay? Why don't you come to this Bible study? Why don't you come to this right here? And they're walking alongside of him. Then he begins to say, you know what? I, I, want, I want to mentor somebody, I want to begin to, to reach out to some folks. So guess what he starts doing? He starts doing the same thing that his friends have been doing in the church, and that is reaching out and touching folks. Before you know it, he's 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 reaching folks and he's sharing the gospel with them, with folks. And he's living a godly life. If that cycle stops, we die. We've got to find an order. And so men of the church, where are you at in your walk with Jesus? Where are you at in your walk with Christ? Do you have all this knowledge and you're just not doing a lot with it? And I hope that the word today has convicted you like it's convicted me. And man, I've got to start doing more. I've got to start pressing in. Because if we don't, in 15 years from now, who knows where we'll be. And so my prayer for you this morning is that you would begin today the process of seeking out truth. The process of seeking out scripture. And man, along that path, Find some young man that needs help. Ladies, find some young lady that needs some help, that needs to grow. Man, our young ladies need some older ladies to come alongside of them and help them. Let's pray. Lord Jesus.